But Melbourne, I felt, you know, we've been in lockdown for the, the longest out of anywhere and, and our restaurants are just so diverse and so creative um, and so delicious. Today on Dirty Linen's Summer Series, well, I am excited because we are talking to Sophia Levin, food writer extraordinaire, um, founder of Seasoned Traveller newsletter and website. If you're not on that, you've got to get onto it immediately. Very talented writer and content creator across all kinds of platforms. And also, I think the person in the world that looks the best with noodles coming out of her mouth. Welcome, Sophia, to Dirty Linen. That was an amazing intro. Thank you, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> you fully deserve all the amazing intros. Now, you are somebody that always makes me excited and hungry when I see you eating across the socials. I am so curious to hear about your three memorable meals. This was really hard. I think I, I narrowed it down to a list of about 15 last night. And then I just had to, <laughs> had to really go with the brief, which was most memorable. So I just sort of went with, um, I guess, things that I hadn't tried before, uh, places I'd been back to, which is a pretty big deal, I think, given the year that's been, um, and ones that made me do like a little happy dance on the spot when I walked in. <laughs> Well, I think the criteria that you've chosen are perfect. So lay it on me. What's number one? All right. In no particular order other than number one going first, there's a place in the city called We Live for Hot Pot. And so We Live for Hot Pot is a sukiyaki restaurant and it's sort of straight out of Tokyo and kind of made for a pandemic. Um, I should probably mention that sukiyaki is, is sort of Japanese hot pot for people who don't know. So that's where the ingredients are, are simmered in the sauce and then topped with broth. So quite different from sort of the traditional Chinese hot pot that people might be used to. Um, so this place is tucked up away some, on some stairs on Russell Street and it's so geared towards the solo diner. So you go through this navy linen curtain to the front counter, and then you're escorted to one of 25 seats, which are sort of lined up across three rows. And then every single spot has a booth with a timber divider. So you can completely ignore the person next to you. They don't have to breathe on you or look at your food or anything like that. But if you do go with someone else, you can, you can sort of fold it back so you can socialize with someone you go with. Although I probably wouldn't go with more than one other person because it will just be too difficult to chat. Um, you order completely on a QR code and then each place has a little hot plate induction. There's a bag hook and then there's even a small stand for your iPhone. Um, how it works is there are these matchstick blinds in front of each each setting and then if you're nosy like me you'll look through the curtain that says staff only just for a little peek and you'll see this corridor and it's this central sort of hallway that goes to a, a kitchen and then they wheel your order to each curtain and just put it in front of you like that so that that's a lot of fun and there are just cutesy things everywhere I feel like I have to mention the toilet <laughs> which is it's through another Norin curtain and it's it's printed well the one that I go to was printed with a bra and it's got these little pouches with cotton buds and sanitary items hair ties stain remover pads if you're a grub like me and just everything there is is so thoughtful and of course the food is really really yummy as well so that definitely fits fits the bill for one that maybe dance what kind of stuff might you have in your hot pot? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're going for the first time, there are these pre-selected sets, which are probably a good idea if you don't want to think. So um, you might have a, a Wagyu sukiyaki, which comes with, you know, all different cuts of Wagyu, um, or the soup base might be something more like lemon ginger soup. Um, but if you, if you want to sort of 
pick your own adventure, you can just order a sukiyaki base um, for I think it's about seven bucks eighty eight dollars something like that, and then you just pick your own add-in. So um, veggies, seafood, tofu, gyoza. Um, my favourite are those little teardrop-shaped fish balls, which are quite processed, but they're filled with roe and they just make me happy. Um, and you mentioned noodles before, so they've got something on the menu called a magic golden noodle, and it's it's this kind of very Instagrammable um, floating noodle. So you might have seen them. They, they sort of arrive and the chopsticks are suspended in the air with the noodles sort of hanging over them into the bowl and they're, they're dried uh, and you just put them in your in your soup and away you go. Oh my goodness. It's so, I just love the fact that they've created so much theatre, but it's like this sort of private viewing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as, as private as, as it may be, it's one of those places that I think is, is getting quite well known on, you know, Instagram and TikTok. And that sort of seems to be how people are discovering it now, because it really is tucked away, but also right in the middle of the city. So convenient, but secretive. Ah. Uh. I love it. And Melbourne is so good at those places. Um, All right. What is number two? All right. Number two uh, is out in Dandenong and it's called Mozzie Foods, which is a portmanteau of Mauritian and Aussie. Um, And I I feel like Mauritian had a bit of a moment this year, um, especially with, um, is it Manzi? Mans? (laughs) I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it, opening and doing the the little wine bar thing. But this um, this was just before that. Oh, it's been open for a while, but I visited sort of, I think, it was oh, when was the Mel- Melbourne Food and Wine Festival? It must have been back in March, um, and it was the first time I'd ever really tried Mauritian food, so that's why it was memorable for me. Um, but the flavors are really familiar. So this this menu in particular, you'll see you'll see wontons, uh, biryani, fried rice, and French patisserie all on the same menu. And then you sort of look around, and people are sipping orangina, that famous French bubbly drink, um, and also sort of this milky. Indian style um, faluda and you just you you hear people speaking French and there are Indian accents and a bit of Creole and it's all just in Melbourne in one spot so it's just it's amazing Um, and then you sort of look at the food and I researched a bit of the history because I was just trying to figure out how it all came together so how it worked was the Dutch were there first Um, it was an uninhabited island and that was just before 1600 and they brought a lot of African and Chinese slaves with them who, you know, would also have brought a lot of their food. Then about 100 years later, the French East India Company claimed Mauritius. And then the British, about another 100 years after that, took over and they got rid of slavery. And that led to hundreds and thousands of Indian laborers arriving. So the food sort of follows that trajectory of, of who came. But now it it exists really holistically, um, even even in the, the law of there, everyone's really melded together. So it wouldn't even be accurate to call it fusion. It's just a cuisine born from all these amazing influences. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's really impressive and it, it's very low key, very casual environment. Um, families, lots of families at the tables uh, ordering these, these big plates. I think probably my favorite dish, which I, I think think is one of the, the more popular ones is called dal puri and that's sort of this this flaky indian influence flatbread but it's made with yellow split peas so it's got this 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 kind of dry crumbly texture and that's served with a sort of chimeric spiced curry called vindai and you can get that with octopus or different meats or, or vegetables um, and it's yeah it's tasty definitely a must order if you visit 
Wow, I absolutely love it. And, you know, this idea of this incredibly rich, melded culture that's then also transposed to Australia and to Melbourne, the outer suburbs of Melbourne, that's that's really exciting as well. Um, it, yeah, it's just there's so many layers and so many strands, hey? Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, Melbourne's just the city for this sort of thing to exist because it feels like, you know, unless you're sort of – First Nations, everybody is from somewhere else. So we've just got the best food in the world, bias aside, but maybe a little bit of bias as well. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so where is your bias taking us for your third meal, Sophia? Okay, so as you can sort of gauge and know already that my favorite restaurants don't always tend to be the ones that sort of people consider hip or cool or, you know, brand new, but I am making a very big exception for Grey and Grey Bread and Wine in Northgate. Um, have you been, Danny? You must have been. I have not been. <gasps> I'm, oh my gosh, I know. I love it's, it. It's such an omission and, um, yeah, I know I'm, I know I'm going to love it. So make me even more excited and give me more FOMO. Can I come with you? Can I come again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. Well, it's, yes. it's, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's, it speaks to our um, heritage a little bit there because the, the, the owners are sort of New York, Russian, Georgian, Jewish. And I think the reason I, I love it is because it really is also Melbourne in that it fits that category of, you know, the, a wine-driven restaurant or bar that plates brilliant sort of produce-driven food. So you've got places like know, like Etta, Marion, Embler, Congress, Colton Wine Room. So it's sort of, I would put it in the same category, but the major difference is that Grey and Grey's dishes, they're all Georgian and Russian inspired. Um, and that's, that's because of the owners. And, and Boris, who's the co-owner and chef, he also has all our welcome bakeries. So his, his technique um, and what he, he plates up is just incredible. It's a, it's a set menu, $65 for four courses, which is far too cheap. I, every time I see him, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Put your prices up. Um, it's just incredibly generous. And the first course, you know, you sort of say that you can tell how good a place is going to be based on the bread course. <laughs> and obviously the bread here is amazing because of the bakery uh, relation. But it, it comes with three fats, they call it. So they change regularly and might be something like chicken schmaltz, preserved carrot butter was what I had most recently. Um, Matsoni, which is this sort of fermented, milky, yogurty thing, which is not the official description, but that, that came with all these preserved persimmons. Um, what else? There lots of sort of seasonal uh, vegetable dishes for the second course. So we have these baby globe artichokes with green almonds and olives and grapefruits. There's this take on shuba, which is herring under a fur coat. Are you familiar with that Russian dish? I am not. I have not had any herrings in fur coats. So I think it gets the name traditionally from what it looks like. So you get diced herring and it's it's quite pretty. It's, it's layered with grated boiled egg and, and beetroot and chopped vegetables. So it's sort of this raised disc that looks a bit like a, a terrine. Um, it's kind of daggy, uh, but they, they do a take on it at Grey and Grey, which instead is this like perfect multicolored square of beetroot terrine. So you have the, um, that sort of gradient of beetroot. So the dark red to the pink, to the orange, to the yellow, and they pickle bay trout and put that on top. Um, bit of botagra and um, white onion. Oh, it's it's so good. Georgian cornbread, um, pork neck, 
pippies and obviously it changes all the time so it'll be just as good if any of your listeners go but the dishes might not be exactly the same i don't think there'd be still be globe artichokes necessarily for example uh, but the thing that you have to order even if it's not the dessert um, is the famous multi-layered russian honey cake which is it just tastes like honey you know when you have a spoonful of honey you almost get that warm burn down your throat but in a good way the cake tastes like that so i reckon i've been dined in four times this year which given we've been in lockdown a lot is is significant and it's it's the place i sort of i take you know visiting foodies and, and chefs who sort of want something melbourne but a bit different and they're they're always so pleasantly surprised by it okay i'm looking forward to our date there i'm really i i'm really i love everything you've spoken about and we have definitely traveled um with your choices but i'm a little bit surprised that you chose three places in Melbourne to talk about. Oh, do you know what? I had I had non-Melbourne ones in there and I thought I better I better stick local. <laughs> okay. It's so interesting. I mean, I, I you're such a you're such a traveler within Melbourne as well as a world traveler when we we're able to. But yeah, I mean, I think it's I love it. I mean, did you yeah, did why did you think you should stick local? Oh, I've, I've, I'm definitely a Melbourne girl at heart. Um, I also feel guilty that I did get to leave the city quite a bit this year when other people didn't. But I mean, I, I ate some fantastic food um, in, in the Northern Territory in Darwin, specifically earlier in the year in between lockdowns. Um, and, and that had the same sort of uh, melting pot traveler vibe, um, I guess, as this list. But, you know, like some of the best Indonesian food I think I've had um, was up there. And then it's just some beautiful meals in Tasmania as, as well. That are, I mean, people talk about produce driven, but when you're sitting somewhere and you've got a waiter pointing out the walnut farm across the river, that's pretty incredible. <laughs> so, yeah. But Melbourne, I felt, you know, we've been in lockdown for the, the longest out of anywhere and, and our restaurants are just so diverse and so creative um, and so delicious. So I, I thought I'd, I'd stick to that list, but I, I do have lists of the other places on, on my website. Little plug there. <laughs> yeah. So everyone check out Season Traveller. Yeah. Check out Season Traveller. Subscribe to the newsletter. Um, it's awesome. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for this little jaunt around Melbourne. Um, as you say, so diverse, always so much to discover. And um, yeah, it's been super tasty. Uh, I can't wait for to um, dine with you at Grey and Grey in 2022. But, uh, Absolutely. Thank you so much for this little taste today, Soph. It's been awesome to have you on Dirty Linen. Thank you so much, Danny. I'll see you at our date. <laughs> this is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This